it is time for our Friday morning devotion, and uh, glad to be here with you again uh, this morning. I hope you had a good restful night last night, and uh, and I hope you have good things planned for this weekend. You know, we're in the midst of midst of summer, and yes, of course, yes, 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 we have you know still lockdown stuff and all that. But the reality is, we can go outside and we can appreciate what we do have here. Uh, right now. And so um, I hope you get a chance to do that. Uh, glad to be here again with you for 1 Corinthians. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today, and uh, it's really a continuation of uh, what Paul began to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There, if you remember, he really spends a lot of time anchoring the church in their identity as justified, sanctified, and redeemed people of God. That is who they are. And yet, at the same time, he is addressing real problems that the church community has amongst themselves. They have been dividing uh, amongst themselves over which teacher they think is the best and which camp they belong to. And so, in some way or another, it's sort of like an early sense of uh, early kind of denominationalism starting within this little church in, in Corinth. And Paul wants to try and snuff out the disunity before it gets any further. He never does this by questioning their identity in Christ. He never goes at them and says, because you're dividing, you must not really be saved. That's not Paul's tack. No, he constantly reaffirms they are saved and then says, but you're acting like people that aren't when you do this and that. And so that's really where he kind of left off. And now he's going to describe why he did what he did in his ministry with them in chapter 2, verse 1, it reads like this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not pro come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, this is easy to kind of misunderstand. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't appreciate uh, someone that is a good speaker. Now, Paul is not saying we shouldn't appreciate wise thoughts and wise ideas. But Paul wants to uh, point out a distinction between what was the normal sort of means of communication in the ancient, especially Greek-speaking world, which emphasized great rhetorical skill, lofty speech, and wisdom. If you think about sort of the core value of Greek culture, it was uh, especially uh, influenced by the, the various philosophers it was this emphasis on great wisdom. Tell me something that's going to be very applicable for how to live. That's what people are often looking for. And indeed, still today, in many, many different religious circles, when people come to church, they want something that they can, quote, take with them to work on Monday morning. That's sort of the emphasis. Give me something practical and do it in a way that's very engaging and very interesting. Again, nothing inherently wrong with that per se for a speaker. It's not bad. But it can be bad if the emphasis happens to fall on the wrong syllable. And that, that is a problem far too often within the Christian church. So Paul says, I didn't come to you. My goal was not to be a great rhetorician and wasn't to just be a wise teacher. No, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him 
crucified. Paul's big idea for his whole ministry, and it should be the big idea for every pastor and everyone who shares the gospel, is that the center of everything should be on that message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. To the degree that the church loses that as its center, that will, that will diminish the church's power. The church's power is through that message of Christ and him crucified. And so Paul wants to point out very clearly here, this was my emphasis with you. Now, why is that important in the midst of discussing division with them? Well, as I mentioned last time, uh, the problem with them being divided is they were uniting over all sorts of other things. And when you instead unite around the gospel, well, then what happens is you all come equally at the foot of the cross as sinners and you all come equally as people forgiven by what Jesus did at the cross. So this is why he's honing in on this right now. This is what will unite you, church. You focus on Christ and him crucified. Paul even gets a little vulnerable here in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This isn't the first time or the only time within Paul's letters that you will find Paul alluding to the fact that, well, at least he doesn't seem to view himself as a very powerful rhetorician, a very powerful speaker. He just, he, he says, I, I came to you, I, I'm, I probably looked unimpressive. I came with weakness and fear much trembling. You ever seen somebody get up to speak and, and you can hear the trembling in their voice and you can sense the nervousness and the tension and the awkwardness? Paul's saying, I realize I, I proclaimed this message to you not per particularly impressively. I wasn't that dashing in my rhetorical flourish. And yet, because it's the word of Christ and him crucified that the power is found, the spirit did his work and converted souls. The power of God came as the word was proclaimed, even though the vessel through which it was proclaimed was not particularly impressive. This is a great encouragement for any of us who would attempt to share the gospel with anyone, preacher or otherwise to know that the word has power in it of itself, that it is the sword of the spirit, that when we simply share this message of Christ and him crucified, we can trust that the spirit is going to work through it even if we don't see the results ourselves. God's word is going to go out and accomplish that for which it was sent. Isaiah promises us that truth in his writing. So Paul now goes on and says, verse six, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So Paul is not saying the message in and of itself is, uh, is foolish or bad, uh, that it's, it's weak. I mean, he, he mentions those kinds of things in the first chapter as an illustration. He's not saying that the message is actual foolishness, but that it appears to be foolish often when the world hears it. And he cites the example here of the rulers of the age that when coming upon Jesus Christ did not understand his way of uh, ruling as Messiah, and they firmly rejected, ultimately calling for his crucifixion. He says it wasn't intuitive to them. And, and indeed, the message of the cross is not intuitive to us. When we see a bloodied, crucified man, uh, especially if we put ourselves back in the first century, nothing about it suggests power. Nothing about it suggests this is the glory of God before us. No, it doesn't look that way naturally. And yet, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit shows us that that is, in fact, how God works in his world. That God comes and incarnates in the midst of us, being willing to suffer on our behalf. And as the Spirit reveals it to us, we begin to see the wisdom of God's plan in all of its glory. He continues in verse 10, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So you see the emphasis again that Paul is making here. Paul is acknowledging, even as in other parts he'll say it's good to reason together, it's good to talk about the uh, defense for why Christianity can be believed. There, That's the art and science of apologetics. It's not a bad thing to do that. But ultimately, Paul recognizes that no matter how persuasive we are, no matter how rhetorically impressive we are, that the only way a human being is going to be converted is by the power of the Spirit through the proclamation of the Word. It's the power of the Spirit through the Word preaching about Christ that human beings are saved. That's Paul's big idea here. So this is quite freeing. It's quite freeing in that, folks, the conversion of your spouse, the conversion of your son or daughter, the conversion of your neighbor, the conversion of our world, ultimately is not dependent on how eloquent we are or how great we are at defending the faith. Sure, it's a good discipline to learn some defenses for the faith. I encourage you to do so. There's lots of resources out there, especially if you go to 1517.org, they have tons of apologetic resources. My point here is not at all to discourage or diminish that discipline. It's very important. But ultimately, even if you're not well-equipped that way. And even if you feel like, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to answer people's questions, you've got the word. You've got this word. 
that can declare as simply as, I mean, it's as simple as this. God came into the world and wants to save sinners, and Jesus is how he did it. And let God do what he's going to do with that. Let the Spirit of God do what he's going to do with that in the midst of people. You'd be shocked how often um, what you think is not effective happens to be massively impactful to other people that you speak to. I've mentioned this many times, but as a preacher, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the middle of my preaching, in the middle of my sermon, and thought, man, this thing is a dud. No one is listening to anything I'm saying. I can see the sleep coming over people's eyeballs. I mean, you're just, there's times where you really feel like you're just not doing it well at all. And I cannot tell you how many times after the message, I'm shaking hands at the door, you know, back when we used to do such things. Uh, and people come up to me and say, in tears, Oh, pastor, that word, you'll never, it just blew me away. I've never thought about God that way, or I've never known this or that. And, I'm, and I sort of go, oh, I guess, yeah, it's not all about me after all. It's not all about my rhetorical flourish. It's about the Spirit of God taking the word and doing what he's going to do with people. So it's quite freeing that way. Yes, it's good to, you know, make some arguments and defenses. Yes, it's good to try and at least be interesting as a speaker. We don't downplay that. But ultimately, it's even better to know the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and is going to impact lives, even in spite of us most of the time. So Paul goes on as he closes up the chapter. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, what a, this is a profound statement. We have the mind of Christ. So now Paul is sort of going to the results of the Spirit's quickening, the Spirit's active work for us as he converts us. He has now given us an ability to discern what is true from false in regard to God and even in regard to the broader world. Now, this does not mean that all we need are the scriptures in order to understand our world. No, there's two kinds of revelation. There's general revelation in the world, math, science, etc. Those are good. Those are also part of God's will and revelation in the world. But there's special revelation too, which is the word of God. And what, what Paul is saying here is that when we are converted, we can now hear a claim made about God, hear a claim made about the world, and now we have a, something to compare it to. The spirit of God takes the word of God and placards it in front of our eyes so that we can use that as a grid by which to filter everything through. So when we hear a claim, we can go, does that resonate? Does that ring true with what the scriptures say, with what the spirit has revealed in the scriptures? Or does that seem like it's going against the scriptures or something completely contrary? That's the idea that Paul is getting to here. So if we wrap it all up, Paul, yes, says at the beginning, I decided to preach Christ and him crucified and nothing else among you. 
The reason I did that is because that's where the power is. That's what the Spirit uses to convert people. And after the Spirit converts you, he gives you the ability to know what's true from false in regard to God. Now, Paul is going to jump off this next time we gather together, next Friday. Jump off this theme that he's developed here of finding ultimately our unity in Christ and what the Spirit is doing in us to now say this is why divisions don't make any sense among you in the congregation because all of us, me, Apollos, Peter, whoever, are preaching this same Christ that is ultimately what unites us all. So, all right, that is 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, just a quick little devotion for you on this Friday morning. I uh, hope you have a great week.